0: Washington, DC, across the nation and around the world. Stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, the national conversation, it's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, January 10th through Friday, January 14th, 2022, the week leading up to Martin Luther King weekend. It was a week highlighted by the Supreme Court ruling on vaccine mandates. Omicron continuing to rage, prices continuing to rise, and political controversy continuing to roar. We're about to embark upon an hour of Black Belt talk radio during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, righties, and fence-sitters. Don't get angry. Just listen closely and always maintain a degree of educated skepticism, even when you basically agree with what you're listening to. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey in Springfield, Massachusetts, Dan Mandis in Nashville, Tennessee, Lynn Woolley in Austin, Texas, Derek Hunter in Baltimore, Maryland, Dom Giordano in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Frank Marano in New York, New York, and Victoria Jones in Washington, D.C. It's the power-packed weekend news talk radio show featuring opinionated yappers from across the country with microphones smartphones and digital recording devices sharing their observations as well as the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do their daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented noisy world where we try to avoid the modern day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Rap. Heard coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K. This past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information's gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories. Stories on talk shows in America this past week.
1: Thanks, Michael. At number 10 this week, a tie between celebrity deaths and the NFL playoff picture. And there were a number of celebrity deaths this past week and since the beginning of the year that stirred up conversation about popular culture, history, and nostalgia. Among them were Sidney Poitier, Bob Saget, Ronnie Spector, Dan Reeves, and Dwayne Hickman. We also lost Betty White and John Madden at the very end of 2021. And speaking
0: of football... It was an extremely dramatic final regular season week number 18 heading into the playoffs this weekend. Many playoff slots and seating positions were unresolved until the very end of last weekend's action.
1: At number nine, the Prince Andrew sex scandal. The son of Queen Elizabeth II has been stripped of military affiliations and royal patronages as he continues fighting a New York lawsuit that accuses him of sexually abusing an underage girl while she was under the power of convicted sex criminal the late Jeffrey Epstein.
0: That basically means he lost his gig with the family business, the firm, and is no longer his royal highness.
1: At number eight, severe winter weather and climate change. Much of the Midwest, East Coast, and Southern states are being hit this weekend by extremely cold air and another set of snow and ice storms. If you're doing any traveling this weekend in those parts of the country, be careful. Of course,
0: what's described as the existential threat of climate change remains a perennial topic in the national conversation, and almost always comes up whenever the subject of weather is discussed.
1: At number seven, social media, free speech, and privacy. Social media is always in the news with the major platforms facing heat for one thing or another, ranging from political bias to dispensing fake news to mishandling their users' private data. In the UK, Facebook and its parent company, Meta, are facing a multi-billion dollar class action suit for breach of competition law on the basis that it abused its dominance of social networking in the UK for several years. If successful, the action would force Facebook to pay $3.1 billion in damages to its UK users.
0: Also on the social media front, Donald Trump's Truth Social is getting closer to launch perhaps as early as President's Day as a conservative alternative to Twitter and Facebook, which the former president has repeatedly accused of political bias and censorship.
1: At number six, U.S. relations with China and Russia. The world continues to hold its breath as military tensions keep building along the Russia-Ukraine border. His war inevitable toward the end of the week ukraine authorities say a cyber attack brought down the websites of several government agencies for hours it is not known for sure if russia was behind the attacks
0: meantime china is obviously preoccupied with the coming olympics set against the problematic backdrop of the pandemic the beijing winter games are set to open on february 4th amidst travel bans canceled flights and lockdowns
1: at number five crime violence and police funding violent crime continues to rage across the nation with urban areas such as philadelphia new york chicago san francisco and los angeles among the hardest hit
0: in new york city all eyes are on newly elected mayor eric adams a former cop During this hour, we'll be talking with one of the Big Apple's leading talk show hosts about just how he's been doing during his first two weeks in office.
1: At number four, voter legislation and race relations. Senate Democrats are trying to push voting rights legislation forward, but are facing obstacles as the party's key moderates, Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, double down on resisting a change to the filibuster to advance the bills.
0: The Democratic-controlled House advanced voting rights legislation this week, and it'll be next sent to the Senate where the measure is not expected to pass.
1: Number three, the January 6 investigation tied with the 2022 midterm elections. And the subpoenas keep on coming. Now the special committee is investigating the roles played by the major social media platforms in disseminating information connected to and leading up to the deadly violence at the Capitol just over one year ago.
0: And it has filed the first sedition charges in the process, investigating the role of the far-right organization, the Oath Keepers, in planning and executing the attack. Meantime, the chess moves and rhetoric surrounding the forthcoming midterm elections heats up with Donald Trump remaining the central figure in national GOP power jockeying.
1: At number two, the economy focusing on inflation, supply chain issues and the labor shortage. The numbers have not been kind to President Biden's approval ratings, which have plummeted to around 33 percent in Quinnipiac's January poll supermarket shelves are becoming increasingly empty as supply chain breakdowns continue to separate goods from consumers.
0: The inflation rate has jumped to around 7 percent, its highest in the past 40 years.
1: And at number one this week, the COVID-19 Omicron variant, vaccines, masks, mandates, school closings, and politics. The Omicron variant is currently raging across the nation, seriously disrupting the strong desire by the American people to get back to some kind of normalcy such a thing will ever be possible.
0: Meantime, the Supreme Court has ruled that the Biden administration's mandate to impose vaccines upon workers at private, non-healthcare-related companies with more than 100 employees is unconstitutional. Well, that should get talk show host Dan Bongino off the hook, at least for the time being. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's head on over to Music City USA and a conversation with Dan Mandis, who's the program director and a talk show host at our affiliate Supertalk 99.7 WTN Nashville.
2: Well, like the rest of the country, we are getting hit hard with COVID-19. Uh, Omicron variants. Of course, a lot of people getting sick. Not uh, nearly as many people dying as before. But as far as uh, the schools go, because that's always everyone's you know biggest concern is mask mandates in schools. Are they going to shut down the schools? And so far, so good. I mean, some of the um Davidson County had a mask mandate, but some of the Davidson County, being Nashville, had a mask mandate. But then. Uh, you have some of the outer counties that do not. That is always a battle within the school boards. But the economy overall with the uh, city of Nashville and the state of Tennessee, we are still the it city. And our economy is going uh, gangbusters. actually had the governor on my show the other day, and they're talking about you know budgets and everything else. And tourism still is doing really, really well in uh are a part of the state. You know, we just have the Titans. It looks like they're, well, they are going to the playoffs now, so that is also a very big deal. Our concerts are getting going again. So as far as Nashville goes, I mean, we are still doing really, really well.
0: I'm glad to hear that. Um, one of the things I noticed about Nashville, compared to many other parts of the country, and I don't know if it's still the case, this goes back a few years, is that the various governments that comprise the um, what you'd call the metropolitan area. In other words, not the city itself, but the, the counties and the other cities that are nearby operate in a very um, mutually cooperative manner. Um, is that something that you're aware of? It, it, it's something that I noticed from, you know, dealing with so many different parts of the country. Nashville always comes up as an example of cooperation between the municipalities. Is that, is that something that is real or something that you could address?
2: There, there is some cooperation. I mean, it, it got pretty bad when COVID happened because Nashville, the city, Davidson County, had a lot of lockdowns and shutdowns and, and all that kind of stuff. So the adjoining counties did not. So that really hurt the restaurants in Nashville, the shops in Nashville, you know, barbershops and the stores and everything else because all people had to do was cross into, you know, either Williamson or Wilson County. So that was a very, very big deal. But for the most part, everybody seems to get along. Even our our Metro Council, which is, you know, like a city council, you have a lot of Democrats. It's mostly Democrats. And there's, you know, a few Republicans. But for the most part, everybody gets along. We have our squabbles with the mayor who is very much of a Democrat. But when you look at Chicago, and you look at, you know, Washington, D.C. and some of these other towns and some of the problems that they have, uh, Nashville really has nothing, no real big issues to speak of, again, when compared to those other towns.
0: Crime and violence are major issues across the country in places like San Francisco, Los Angeles, the aforementioned Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, Washington. Um, How uh, is uh, public safety Uh, in Nashville at this point?
2: you know It's it's not so bad. I mean, again, when you compare it to other cities, it's actually not bad at all. I mean, we have our problems with crime. I mean, yesterday I talked about a 15-year-old who carjacked, you know, three motorists and pistol-whipped a woman. And I was thinking back to when I was 15, I was, you know, trying to pass algebra and playing spin the bottle and watching MTV. So... You know, it's it's just a different dynamic, of course, um, today's 15-year-olds versus, you know, when uh, I was 15 or you were 15. There's a lot more challenges these days. As far as crime goes in Nashville, again, comparatively, when you look at Chicago, you look at Detroit, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, the smash and grabs and all that, we don't see a lot of that here. You know, we are very conservative-minded, even The city of Nashville, even though it's run by Democrats, there still is a sense of law and order. And there's not nearly the level of what we would call woke politics uh, locally here in Nashville, thank the Lord. And I think that's why a lot of people want to move here.
0: I I know that um, uh, you and I are having this conversation. Uh, before the weekend, the program is playing through the weekend and it is the big uh, playoff weekend. How big um, are the Titans in terms of it being a cultural and an economic phenomenon there as they're having a, a great season and uh, are going into the playoffs, at least at this point? Yeah. We don't it, it might be over by the time some people hear this show over the weekend. But um, what is the impact of having a, um, a hot team like the Titans?
2: You know, it's interesting because when I lived in Fort Wayne, I worked at um 1190 World and of course, you know, Indiana, home of the Colts, and when I was in Denver at Cahow and Clear Channel there, and it was home of the Denver Broncos, and the Titans, they're going to draw, and people are going to love the Titans as long as they're winning. There's some brand loyalty for the Titans, but there's not the multi-generational, you know, love that people have for the Bears or, you know, the Colts or the Denver Broncos. You know, the Titans moved here from Houston, you know, I guess whatever it was, twenty, twenty-two, twenty-three 23 years ago, whatever it was, mm-hmm. but they just don't have that long history. So people love the Titans. They don't necessarily have a long history of winning. Um, they've had some good seasons. They've had a lot of bad seasons, but you know, if, if they're winning, everybody loves them. If they're losing, there's not the loyalty that you'll see with, again, the Broncos or the Colts or the Bears.
0: It's free enterprise in progress. You know, it, it's you know, it costs a lot of money, both time and uh, uh, financially and emotionally, to be a fan of a team. Uh, I've never quite understood. The long-suffering fan who um, sticks with their team year after year after year when they don't put a contender on the field. So uh, I, <laughs> I, I was smiling because I've had that argument with a number of my my buddies in sports talk radio about the fair weather fan versus the you know the died and the Wold fan. <laughs> and there's certainly reasons on both sides of that equation. Yeah,
2: there there's a yeah there there's a lo- lot of fair weather fans here. And again, it's it's all has to do with you know, generational. We're just getting now, here in Nashville, and I'm not a native, of course. I, I've been here for eight years, eight-plus years now. But we're just getting to the point now where fathers and their sons or daughters and families would go to a game. But if you're a native Tennessean, for a lot of folks, you know, your grandfather may not have been a Titans fan because they weren't here. <laughs> so I, I think that... The Titans have a long way to go to, um, to, to earn that generational loyalty.
0: That's talk show host and program director Dan Mandis at our Nashville affiliate, Super Talk 99.7 WTN. Coming up next, a conversation with a talk show host who broadcasts in another of America's leading centers of music, this one deep in the heart of the Lone Star State. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Great bands of the golden age of album rock, Gunhill Road, has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gunhill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Kuhnin, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom. I Know You're Real. A moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that will rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address, write it down. i know you are real.com. That's i know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. i know you are real.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap, let's take a trip to the beautiful city of Austin, Texas, and a conversation with Lynn Woolley, who co-hosts the morning show with Jim Cardle on radio station KJCE. So you're on the radio in Austin, Texas, and, you know, I've been to Austin, and one of the things, Lynn, that I uh, hear from a lot of people is that Austin is not exactly the same as the rest of Texas politically or culturally. What's the story behind that?
3: Well, the, the late Jerry Jeff Walker, if you remember him, you sure wrote Mr. Bojangles. Uh, let me give you the exact quote. He said, "Hell, I don't live in Texas. I live in Austin." <laughs> the reason for that, it's a lot of people have said, you know, that it's 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 basically a city surrounded by reality. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's just a place apart. I've never seen any other place like it. I think the closest would be Nashville, Tennessee. When I spent some time there last year. And I thought, boy, same population. You know, you got a big college. You got they—they uh, they have the Grand Ole Opry. We have Austin City Limits. But I mean, you never know who's going to be here on any given day. You know, Joe Rogan has moved his podcast here. Elon Musk has moved his company here, and they're about to start build, building Teslas in Austin. Um, our chi- our skyline—if uh, you've seen it last week—you haven't probably seen the latest uh, building that's just opened up. I mean, it's it's crazy big, it's crazy growing, and it's just so trendy right now.
0: Mm, It's interesting. Um, I heard you on the air recently say, and Austin is the 11th largest city in the United States. Is that true?
3: It is, and uh, we're about to be the 10th. Uh, San Jose is just ahead of us by maybe 10,000 people, and they've got more people moving out. We've got more people moving in. The median apartment in Austin is sixteen hundred dollars a month, and that's before they add the fees. Uh, housing is just scarce here, and and it's it's so funny that uh, people are are moving not just to the Austin suburbs, but. 70 miles away sometimes to find a house they can afford. And then they drive to Austin every day.
0: Hmm. It's interesting. Earlier on the show, we had Dan Mandis from uh, WTN in Nashville. So this is sort of a Nashville-Austin connection. And um, Mm -hmm. one of the two things that those two cities have is the music industry. And um, I think that the presence of the music industry or any of the arts brings in, you know, interesting types and uh, people that are um, somewhat eccentric, if you will. And uh, it does affect the economy and the culture. Music is a big deal there, isn't it?
3: It's a big deal. And the Texas Longhorns have a big old basketball arena called the Super Drum. That's what it's called locally. It's actually the Irwin Center. They're about to tear that down and build a hospital where it stands. The new basketball arena is going to be called the Moody Center. And It will open April 22. Let's see. We'll have Willie Nelson in there, George Strait. Uh, Before they come in to do the official opening, we've got Bon Jovi. Uh, I I don't even have the whole list of all the the big-name bands that are coming in, but we do draw all the biggies. We also have this Circuit of the Americas now, which is the F1 track, and we had the Rolling Stones out there about three weeks ago.
0: So... so, um... Does it impact your show? I know that you're a conservative and and your co-host is a conservative. Um, I would imagine most of your audience is conservative. Uh, That's the way uh, commercial news talk radio these days tends to operate. Uh, Does the fact that there is this large, um, I would imagine, progressive component to um, Austin, how does that impact uh, your your broadcasting and your, your conversations on the air?
3: Well, that's a very interesting question. I mean, we don't hide anything. We just go on and try to to talk about what we believe is right, and ever since I've been doing the talk part of, of, of radio, I've used some shtick that I guess you could say I borrowed it from Mr. Spock or I borrowed it from Marilyn Vos Savant, but I've always thought, look at things not from the left or from the right so much, but look at them logically. And so I try to come up with commonsensical ideas to put forth on the radio show. Now, you're right. I mean, Austin's the home of one of the two or three largest universities in the country, the University of Texas. We're, we're the Silicon Hills here. So we, we've got a 66-story skyscraper under construction. Facebook just leased it. Uh, right across town, we've got a 40-story skyscraper under construction. Google just leased it. So just dozens and dozens of people coming in from places like uh, Seattle and Los Angeles and San Jose and San Francisco. So yeah, it's very liberal, but liberal radio never seems to get ratings and it never seems to be successful. You remember Air America and how it failed. So we just do our thing and, you know, there's one other conservative, somewhat conservative radio station in town And they're a heritage station, which means they've been there forever and doing what they're doing forever. And uh, we're giving them a run for their money in the best way we can.
0: I'll bet you are. Uh, What's your position um, on uh, U.S.-China relations? You know, you talk about all this industry that's uh, happening um, in Austin. I imagine, uh, you know, one of the top topics that we deal with, U.S.-China relations, is something that pops up on the air. How do you handle that?
3: I'm very uniquely equipped with that little that little story, because about two years ago, uh, I was hired by the Epoch Times to write most of their marketing materials, which I have continued to do for the last two years, and I've also written some editorial copy for them as well, especially for their American Promise project. I wrote three long uh, articles that were actually columns for that. But I had a chance to go up and meet John Tang uh, in December of 2019, right before Christmas, and just as the COVID thing was starting. I didn't know the word COVID when I was there. These are people that got out of China, got to the United States, and realized they were free to do pretty much whatever they want. So John started the Epic Times. So I hear a lot of things from them. I write a lot about China uh, I believe Russia is a is a threat on a on a scale of 1 to 10 maybe a 5 or a 6 China's an 11 on a scale of 1 to 10 I don't think there's enough warnings that we can sound about China and the 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 thing that disturbs me most about it is the NBA the attitude of LeBron James licking the boots of the Chinese Communist Party and not only that, but Apple, which I'm sure the cell phone I'm talking on now was made in China, Apple and Google and the other U.S. companies, Disney is another one, that want to get in there and take advantage of a, of a billion-plus people. But we've got to be very careful if we continue to allow our medicine, our pharmaceuticals, our electronic components, If we continue to let China dominate that, uh, we could be in trouble, in some really serious trouble at some point.
0: That's KJCE Austin talk show host Lynn Woolley. In addition to being a great radio personality, Lynn's an accomplished author and musician. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. From Austin, Texas, let's head northeast to Baltimore, Maryland, and a conversation with WCBM and USA Radio Network talk show host Derek Hunter. How's COVID treating uh, you, your friends, your family, and the folks in Baltimore?
4: It is going through some people. Most of my family is back in Michigan, and a couple of them have it, but it's been relatively mild, thankfully. I did have one cousin who had it twice, and the second time she ended up in the hospital for two weeks, but she's out, thankfully. Otherwise, there's mostly suspected COVID. But that's kind of how it is, Michael, isn't it? You, you get the sniffles, you sneeze once, and you go, oh, my God, have I got it? Mm-hmm. And you, you just don't know, and you can't find tests to find out. And I think most of us don't really want to know. We want to be surprised. We want to get, a like, a letter in the mail that said, you had it. You've got natural immunity for a while. Live it up. and and then go out and, like, enter competitive doorknob licking or something because we can li- live it up for a little while, and then we have to realize that that's only temporary. But so far, uh, so good. We're- a friend of my father's passed away from it, but otherwise unscathed, thankfully.
0: How's the mood of the people, and uh, are you noticing change? Of You know, we've been through a heck of a two-year period, and we're still in it, and, uh, you know, there's a thing called the national angst. People are depressed. Um, well, that's what I hear. I mean, I, I see it around me. Um, I'm generally an optimist. I try to see a, a silver lining in every cloud. Uh, are you picking up on mood changes in terms of just the general folk um, in your area?
4: There is mood changes. I'm getting it all by proxy. I'm very lucky in that my, my wife and my children are four and three. So they're not, we're not even entering the debate of whether or not we have to get them to jab. They're not missing out on school the parents whose kids are missing out on two years of school, um, those kids are having a rough go. I hear from friends of mine who do that. From the general public, the people who call into the radio show, it is really, they, they, they're they at the end of their rope. They don't want to get COVID. They know it's real. Nobody's out there again just, you know, making out with random strangers or asking people to sneeze in their faces. But we've had so many ups and downs that they're ready to accept that this is going to be a part of life, at least for a while, where it's going to be cyclical and you've got to be careful and you've got to make sure to take extra caution to wash your hands. But it is the government officials who seem to think that they can beat this thing, that if they just lock down harder, if they double mask harder this time, it will make a difference, that they're kind of sick of. Like, people know what to do now. And they're willing to do it. They're willing to take the risk, just like every time you cross the street, you could get hit by a car. You have to learn to live with that until this thing hopefully peters out like the Spanish flu did. We didn't beat the Spanish flu. It just went away. So um, there's that sort of sense of let us live our lives again. It's not full-blown into a movement. and it's, I don't even know that it's a, a majority, but it is reaching the tipping point. I think it's growing.
0: How about the economy? Um, you know, being in local radio really gives, you know, broadcasters uh, the pulse of the economy in their area. Radio is very tied into the local economy. How how, how does it appear from your perspective, uh, being part of a, a major radio station in Baltimore? It,
4: it's not, well, it's indirectly impacted by COVID more than anything right now, Michael. It is the supply chain issues. You go into a giant or a Safeway and there's not a, a leaf of lettuce to be found. There isn't a drumstick that you can find. thats I don't know what it's like up where you are, but our grocery stores seem to be randomly, depending on the day of the week, out of things. It's not because suddenly everybody felt a little peckish for chicken breasts. It's because the, the chicken's not coming in. It's a supply thing. The demand hasn't changed. So there's that impact on the economy, and that's going to trickle down. It's... Going to cause people who you know maybe budgeted for some chicken thighs for dinner, they're going to have to get some more expensive ground beef or something. Or maybe they're going to—I don't know—it's going to impact purchasing habits. That's going to impact people's personal economy. Maybe they put a little bit more on the credit card because the only protein they have was eight ninety-nine a pound instead of the chicken that was three ninety-nine a pound.
0: And I got to get your, your opinion about what's going on just a little bit south of you in in Washington. Um, what do you think about uh, both the, uh, the January 6th uh, investigation and um, the controversy between states' rights and uh, the feds over voter legislation?
4: Well, I would like to see somebody who has actually been denied voting. We hear these mythical people who don't have photo IDs, but we never actually see them, because I'm not sure they exist. I think there are more unicorns currently in the wild than people who can't get themselves a photo ID. But if the if the Democrats burned half the calories that they burn on trying to prevent photo ID laws, on finding the 12 people in the country maybe who don't have photo IDs and getting them photo IDs, they would immeasurably improve their lives by allowing them to get employment, open bank accounts, cash checks, travel, and drink alcohol even. As far as the uh, January 6th goes, the comparisons between Pearl Harbor and 9-11 are absurd and offensive. Uh, It certainly wasn't a good day, but it was three hours. Three hours is one hour shy of when you have to worry that your Viagra is working too well. It's not a national tragedy that a year has to pass where the media focuses on nothing but that. There are much more important things going on. And even if it were an insurrection, even though no human being has been charged with that, what was the plan? There's, it's not the uh, Lord of the Flies. There's not a conch shell in the Capitol. I've worked there, where you go and you seize that, and suddenly you're the head of government. <laughs> There's, there was nothing that they could have done, not to mention the fact that, the average age was about 70 years old and selfies were taken and some people were invited in. It just, it certainly wasn't a good look. It wasn't a good day. It wasn't something we need to repeat or should encourage, but it was not the threat to democracy that people are portraying it as. And people who are doing that are generally selling something.
0: And uh, in conclusion, taking advantage of your geographic um, connections and uh, location, uh, are the folks in your area getting over the disappointment of um, the Ravens not being in the playoffs? You
4: know, yes, they're disappointed, of course, when you win a couple of Super Bowls in a very short history of a team. You expect them to win the Super Bowl every year, not quite the way that New England fans do. But fairly close. They expect them to at least make the playoffs. Whereas I personally, I grew up in Detroit. We didn't have a professional football team. We just had the Lions. (laughs) And I'm I'm used to teams not making the playoffs.
0: That's WCBM Baltimore and USA Radio Network talk show host Derek Hunter. Coming up next, a look at how the Omicron variant is disrupting America's attempt to restore some kind of normalcy to its education system. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap.
5: This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public.
6: G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis.
5: In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit genesis2project.com.
0: Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. There's no question about it. The pandemic has been devastating to the nation's schools and education system. And just as it appeared we were working our way out of the nightmare, Omicron reared its ugly head, creating a whole new set of troubles for teachers, students, and parents. Joining us now is one of Talk Radio's leading advocates for education, Dom Giordano of WPHT Philadelphia we're a good two years into this pandemic. And you know what, Dom, it seems that education has been hit harder than any other aspect of our society, although we don't always talk about it. And uh, you're right, you're right in the thick of it. How serious a problem is this going to be going forward for all the kids that have been um, sort of waylaid from what would have been a normal curriculum?
7: Uh, For many of them, Michael, it is going to be disastrous. You know, those that were Those who were way behind, that's really bad. But those who were even middle-range students, and you and I have talked about this, the thing that they have to do, and I realize they're battling COVID still as we speak. The money has to go into tutors, one-on-one type of stuff. That's the fastest way to bring kids up, not even just in school with support staff, but out of school. I recommend this to parents all the time. If they have any doubt and you have a really good particularly maybe, you know, the child's teacher, not that expensive. That's the critical thing to do right now because they're zoning in on exactly where that kid is. I'm hearing from some parents, uh, private school, for example, that my wife works with shocked when they got back where the kid's reading level is. These are in the early grades. So if you have any doubt, don't just rely on the school. That's the thing that will put your kid back on level not a big fan of summer school. Kids have been through tremendous trauma, difficulty, boredom, Zoom. Do not send them to the summer school. That's not the ticket. Tutoring is.
0: I have been hearing that uh, at the schools themselves, they can't find even substitutes. <laughs> they have to get substitutes for the substitutes, that the, um, the shortage of teachers is so severe. Um, yes. They're actually contacting parents and having parents do it. What have you heard? Uh, I've
7: seen that here locally in some of our better suburbs. I think it's a fine thing. Yeah, I've seen many parents now volunteering. They're getting a sense of uh, exactly what teachers face, how difficult it can be. I'm all on board. The state of New Jersey has just announced they haven't moved on it fully yet, but the state of New Jersey is bringing back former teachers who are retired. Remember, some of these people could be in their early 50s or mid-50s, and they're able to teach again without losing their pension rights in any way, shape, or form. I think this is really kind of like a a smaller scale, a World War II thing, where it's all hands on deck. You're seeing people actually involved in the schools, and as dire as it is on one hand, we're seeing a rallying here all around one point. you got to keep the kids in school. We've learned that. This too will pass. Once you shut down the schools and go virtual again, It's hard to come back. Kids have already been through that. So as negative as this is, I see the upside for Jersey to do that and to be looking at letting teachers come back, no pension and all that. This indicates that people are finally getting how to fight this.
0: Now, I would imagine a lot of parents who otherwise never would have thought about being a teacher are um, sort of, um, they've had a good workout with the homeschooling, and uh, or the at the at home schooling. I guess there's a there's a difference between homeschooling right. and then remote schooling. But the uh, the remote schooling has forced a lot of parents to become, you know, homeschoolers. And uh, I guess uh, it wouldn't be that big a leap to go into the classroom.
7: No, I I think parents are the ones I've spoken. They're realistic. They get teachers' uh, subject matter knowledge. Might be better a little technique here and there. But when I hear Randy Weingarten and some of these others make it like this is rocket science, I can tell you almost all the education courses, and I think most teachers would tell you this, I knew I wanted to teach. I knew I was going to do what I had to do or anything, and I thought I had the demeanor, the makeup to do that. If you don't, keeping discipline, keeping attention, moving the ball forward, I don't care what education courses you take. It's not going to work. So as a stopgap, I think these parents coming in are going to learn how tiring and difficult this is, but also some of them might want to become teachers, some of them are filling the gap, and we're taking some of the mystery out of this whole thing, and this is going to play out nationally. You're going to see more and more back and forth on this, and the teachers' unions, the big ones like Chicago, Randy Weingart, they're on the wrong side of this. I'm hoping to hear the average teacher who's not an activist, push back more and more and more and bind with the parents on this, and we might see a better situation. But the credibility of the teachers' unions has really, by and large, been downgraded during this.
0: It wasn't that long ago, Dom, that we were um, hearing about terrible fights and screaming and violence and threats at school board meetings. They became the political hotspot. Is that over? Are, is there still remnants of that in terms of the, the politics and the the fighting that's going on this, on the local level in terms of school boards?
7: I would say it's not as intense as it was at this point. Uh, and I'm not sure why. We're just coming into a new season. Well, I'll tell you one thing in our area what happened, Michael. A lot of people got elected to school boards that were in opposition to the tactics of the previous school boards. We have a woman locally who won over 133 school board seats across Pennsylvania. So the new people that are in there are people that are in sync with a lot of the people that were upset. We are seeing places, and I'm a big fan of this. Uh, we are seeing places where nine school board members, it's 5 four, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely fine with this. Because it breeds engagement.
0: That's the dean of Philadelphia radio talk show hosts and a former school teacher himself, Dom Giordano of WPHT. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. We've got time for one more. Let's venture into the Big Apple and visit with WABC talk show host Frank Marano. What's the attitude in the city about a new mayor? Is it exciting or are people going, oh, i more of same?
6: You know, it's not more of same, I'll tell you that. There are a lot of people that are excited, mainly to be done with Bill de Blasio. It was, uh, as, uh, as Andy Cohen pointed out on CNN on New Year's Eve, the one thing that seemed to bring Democrats, Republicans, and Independents together in New York was everybody was really enthusiastic to see Bill de Blasio leave. So um, uh, that's the level of excitement. When it comes to the attitude of the new mayor, in some respects and people may bristle at this comparison but in some respects it's a lot like the early days of the Trump administration where uh, Eric Adams is doing some crazy things he's saying some crazy things but policy-wise he seems to be doing very sound policy things and he's made some very sound appointments as well so on the one hand uh, a lot of people who are concerned with issues like crime happy that he's bringing back the anti-crime unit that the, that the previous mayor disbanded, and on the other hand, people that are concerned about issues of nepotism are saying, well, wait a minute, why are you appointing your brother as the deputy police commissioner at $240,000 a year? People that are, uh, that are enthusiastic about having kids back in school are grateful that Adams is standing up to the teachers' union, but then people that are concerned about corruption are saying, well, wait a minute, why are you appointing a deputy mayor that got caught with two or $300,000 in his bank account that he couldn't explain? So, it's um it's it's an interesting time it's not a boring time and uh, eric adams is somebody that uh seems very very willing and very very uh, up to the task of providing a lot of great copy for New York copywriters and a lot of great content for New York radio people.
0: It's sort of like a mini-country there. It's like it's like a whole nation in a microcosm in New York. People that have never been well, to I, New York. I,
6: I think, you, I think you, you nailed it. I mean, the uh, 40,000 or so members of the police department, that's a bigger army than many countries have. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, if you look at the, the, whether it's international relations, whether it's uh, uh, the fact that, we that, you know, Policy sort of sets the standard for what happens in other cities, other states, other countries. New York is, in many respects, sort of a country unto itself.
0: Yes, indeed, and and it's often been said that the uh, the job of mayor of New York is the second most difficult political job in America, second to the presidency. And some people say it's even harder. Uh, it, it is a very very tough job uh, to be mayor of New York. Uh, so many factions. That's
6: for sure. And uh, unlike uh, the the presidency where there's a lot of layers of bureaucracy all the cabinet uh, secretaries when you're the mayor you really do have, for better or worse have your finger on the pulse of running All the levers of city government—you hire and fire the people that hire and fire almost everybody else in the city. Uh, There's no, unlike um, when you're appointing a a cabinet secretary or a Supreme Court justice, there's no city council approval for these things. Uh, These—you're the guy, Uh, so you live and die by your own decisions.
0: Is former Mayor Rudy Giuliani still part of the radio station that you're on? I uh, forgive me.
6: Absolutely, he's on uh, every afternoon at three o'clock, and uh, he's been a great asset and. he's he, and a good friend he's become a very good friend and uh, it's great to uh, be able to tap into his expertise on both local and national politics
0: how's he doing personally is he holding up i know that he's been under a lot of stress and a lot of strain and a lot of criticism
6: he is doing a lot better than i would be doing under the uh, under the same circumstances uh, he and i actually we share a fondness for cigars so we had cigars recently and I said, Mayor, you know, they suspended your law license without even giving you a hearing. Something I didn't even know that they could do. Uh, they, the FBI raided your apartment. You're up to your eyes in legal bills. Former President Trump doesn't seem to be doing much to raise money uh, for your for your legal defense, and you you're you're acting um, as if you don't have a care in the world and uh, essentially uh, he says frank I, I take the long view uh, problems come problems go uh, and uh, i we we can only do what we can his son is now running for governor in new york he seems pretty Active in his son's campaign. And look, he's on the radio six days a week. He seems to really enjoy uh, the uh, radio format. He's always eager, even though he's accomplished so many things in the legal profession and in the political uh, arena, he seems always eager to improve as a radio talk show host. So uh, he is, uh, it's great having him. Honestly, it's a real thrill to come to work and see him. Basis.
0: You brought up Trump, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, Trump and his relationships is always an interesting thing. What's your view of Trump at this point? Do you think he's he's got legs in terms of uh, playing a role uh, in the next two and a half years of politics in the GOP?
6: I think uh, – well, clearly he does, right? I mean, if you look at just about every opinion poll, there is uh, – there is, you know, there's not a Republican that's more popular among rank-and-file Republican voters – than Donald Trump. So that uh, manifests itself in a number of ways. You know, he, he, he can make or break conservative media stars with one endorsement, right? Uh, if he goes on a podcast or a radio show and gives his sort of imprimatur of approval, uh, that, uh, that signals to so many in Trump world that that's uh, somebody to be reckoned with. That's also true in Republican primaries around the state. In terms of being a presidential candidate in 2024, Um, I don't know that Donald Trump has done very much to expand his base. In fact, I think the constant harp on election fraud and that the election was rigged, I think that has served to turn off. Some independents and Democrats that voted for him in 2016 and 2020. So, if there is a uh, either a Biden-Trump matchup in 2024 or a matchup with Trump and another Democrat, I- I'm not sure that, that 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 the behavior that we've seen since he left the presidency. Is enduring to his benefit. That could change, though, uh, as you know, a weeks a lifetime in politics, let alone two and a half years.
0: What about the talk of him starting a social media platform? Uh, you think there's any um, validity to that? You think it has uh, success? at uh, chance at success?
6: I, I um, so I do think there's some validity to it. Uh, the fact that uh, Congressman Devin Nunes is uh, leaving a, a pretty prominent uh, role in Congress on the eve of the Republicans taking back the majority in the House. Tells you that the the people behind this Trump media organization are serious about pursuing it. Uh, I, I don't know that they're going to be able to get to a place where they're able to compete with uh, the you know the big three: Twitter, uh, you know, uh, TikTok, and uh, Facebook slash Instagram. So so we'll see. I, I think the the challenge for Trump in a social media organization is going to be the same in some respects as it would be for him running. It's branching out beyond just. Trumpists now uh with thirty forty million trumpists uh, if a lot of them are willing to be a part of his social media enterprise, then you know that's something you can make some money with, but uh he's got a lot on his plate you know he's uh there are multiple investigations from here in New York and elsewhere uh there are a, there's a lot going on with him business wise and certainly a lot politically uh, but uh, i i don't know we'll we'll see what happens i'm certainly uh, i'm certainly as an observer of the media i'm watching it with great interest
0: that's popular talk show host frank morano of wabc new york And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the National Conversation, looking back at the week of Monday, January 10th through Friday, January 14th, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including that ever-lurking unknown factor, the unanticipated surprise story that can take the National Conversation spinning off. in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at talkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Rap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights
2: reserved.